0: Welcome to episode 5 of the Performance Advantage podcast with myself, Dr. Will O'Connor, and Matthew, Dr. Miller from MTB PhD. Matt, how are you going? What up? I'm going. <laughs> yeah.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, I just had to stuff my face full of cake. Um, had a good ride this morning. Oh, low carb. I was like, oh, I need to get back and catch Will, so we gotta do this podcast. So I hustled back and um, didn't have time for a shower. Um, but you know, here okay, we are. Okay,
0: that's what the people want to know.
1: Yeah, that's all right. I have the rest of the day to take a shower. Um,
0: so your uh, your first triathlon story was pretty popular last podcast.
1: Yeah, um, I you know for most of my friends, I thought I told them uh, about the triathlon story, but I got a lot of messages uh, last week um, that people. <laughs> had heard my triathlon story um yeah it's true so yeah i nearly died thought i was dead so i think
0: you're um Um, you sort of probably missed a career path there in storytelling uh i got quite a few (laughs) comments saying that uh you tell a story really well but i mean you were there it was your life flashing before your eyes yeah
1: i mean it's easier to tell facts than it is to tell (laughs) stories yeah (laughs) it is what it is yeah
0: um so today like last week we we spoke about triathlon and it was sort of more my area expertise now we're going to get into your field training for as part of the training for series training for xco cross-country mountain cycling
1: yeah i mean if that's what you want to call it (laughs) Yeah, so, um, okay, so let's, XCO, that stands for cross-country Olympic, right? So CC looks a bit silly if you put, yeah, I race CC, <laughs> like carbon copy or Canadian I don't know. Club. But, um, yeah, lots of things. Um, let's stop it there. But, um, XC is pretty standard for cross-country yeah. these days. And then O is stands for Olympic, so cross-country Olympic. And that's just because, uh, the particular discipline is an Olympic, uh, olympic disciplines so mountain biking cross-country
0: yeah does the olympic part pertain to like the duration because i know like if we go back um say a decade uh they were a lot longer um the laps weren't super short like now you've got a lot more viewer friendly um kind of scenario where you're going from i don't know what would you say an hour to an hour and a half around hour 15 to hour 30 yeah
1: yeah. So I, I can't remember what the actual Olympic, uh, guidelines are. I think it's somewhere between an hour 15 to an hour 30 is what they want the winner's time to yeah. be. Um, and that is to make it a bit better for TV and, um, you know, like, cause the way it was like in the early two thousands and before that, you know, sometimes the races were three hours for like, um, you know, either a world cup or national level race, which is a pretty long time. So like, if you want to spectate an event that lasts three hours, like you really need to be pretty committed.
0: Yeah, and that's a long um, time. Like, and sort of, you know, going back to my field of triathlon, uh, we've seen the same kind of thing happening. Where I guess you know, with XCO, like cross country mountain biking, it, it blew my mind when you introduced me to it live, free to air on Red Bull TV. This just like amazing quality HD, I don't know how many cameras, professional, um, you know, commentary and sideline interviews, all free to air, um, just absolutely enthralling content. And then I was, you know, convers- contrasting that to, to a two hour triathlon, which sort of was a swim, which nothing really happened. And then a bike where something may happen, but it lasted for about an hour. And then a run where the fastest guys just ran away. And it was actually only a battle of like, I don't know, maybe three to six people, maybe 10. And then there's sprint distance, which is a lot more exciting, but still uh, just a condensed version of much of the same. Nothing really happening in the swim. Maybe a break on the bike, maybe a break, but generally not. And then a running race. Um so, whereas now, um, they've introduced a whole nother, I guess, realm of triathlon and super league, which is that, um, like you're doing multiple triathlons. It's over multiple days. They're very short distances. There's very small fields. Um, and they also have the team triathlon in the Olympics now. Um,
1: yeah, that super league's really cool. Cause, uh, we watched that together a bunch of times, yeah. yeah. Uh. It's pretty fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it is. Like it's that continuous lead change. There's um, the smaller fields, meaning uh, that you know it's just you. You're you're enthralled. There's a race that's that's happening amongst everyone. Um, there's also the elimination factor of it. Uh, but I digress. Like we're getting off for the topic of mountain biking. But that is one thing I did want to bring up with cross country, is especially at the World Cup level. The sheer number of people on the start line.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some sometimes they'll have two hundred. Uh, like the in the elite men's, they could have two hundred racers yep. on the start line. You know, at least you know they they did, and now you know, you'll have at least a 100, 150 in Europe. Um, that's a lot of racers um, to to be on a narrow track. Yeah.
0: Well, this is the thing. Uh, like, Tom-tom. if you had said to me, um, I don't know, five years ago. With or even just three years ago, with the, the way Super League is now, okay, so we're gonna have sixteen races, and then by the last race of like an eliminator series, there's gonna be six in the field. I'd be like, six people, really? Like, but then when I thought about it, like I just said with the the Olympic distance, you end up waiting two hour or an hour and a half until the run, where it's between three to six people, anyway yeah
1: that's just the nature of endurance sport you know and so i was like
0: oh now that there's only six people it's the best six people and the shorter distances allow like a lesser athlete to be able to be competitive um it is super super exciting um yeah and yeah with the with the cross country i mean yeah there must be yeah 150 odd people but i can only name you know maybe 10 to 20 um and recognize their names when they're racing
1: yeah, I mean it's still, you know, the best are the best and um you know, the best riders start at the front and um since mountain biking it starts in a pretty wide um kind of starting corral if you will. Um but it really quickly it gets into single track and it's it's called single track because you need to go single file pretty much most of the time. Yeah. Um so, you know, the best riders are getting the best start, but they're also the best anyway. So they just kind of ride away for those two reasons.
0: Yeah. So Um, the, if we, why don't you just take us through the whole sort of, yeah, we, I guess we went over what, what cross country is, but the qualification process, if you're interested in, in cross country Olympic.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's worth kind of defining cross country as, um, its own sport compared to like the other cycling kind of events. Um, so like cross country you need to race you race for the whole time and you're going hard the whole yeah. time. And you do really short circuits that are like five to seven K long. Um, and you go up hills and you race downhills. So you need to be really fit to go up the hills and you also need to be really fit so that you can recover on the downhills. Yeah. And the downhills are pretty technically demanding. Um and it didn't always used to be that way. Um, but yeah, they're pretty hard, so you needed like a really high level of skill too. Um, so, you know, if you want to be racing at the highest level, you need to probably get some UCI points okay. to get to a world cup. Um, and not everyone can get a UCI point, uh, cause, uh, so UCI is like the international governing body. So you need to be at one of those sanctioned events to be able to even contest points, probably in like your local kind of national level kind of thing yeah. to be able to get one. And then if you're lucky, you can start at the back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the that's the other thing. Once you get some points, you are at the back of a hundred plus people. Um yep. so how are you gonna get to the front? Like so what I've seen <laughs> is you start okay, you start in this nice wide sort of, you know, single lane or two lane driveway kind of thing, um, or fire road or whatever you wanna call it, and then And then it either shoots up a hill or gets into some single track after anywhere from 400 meters to a K. Um, And as soon as that happens, the guys at the front are riding and the guys at the back, are all girls, um, are walking.
1: Yeah, I remember that (laughs) happening to me. Like uh, when we raced at Wyndham, um, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was pretty wide. And then within like, two 300 meters it had it went into literally single track so you know i was at the back this was uh, i don't this was like a national level yeah. race um that we had pre-world cup and i was lined up at the back and i could literally see i looked up the hill and like the leaders were like through the single track riding up the ski slope yeah i was standing still i'm like well I already lost one minute. <laughs> We're not even two minutes into the race. I'm a minute back. Yeah. Standing here. Yeah. And then, you know, like, and that's just how it is. But, you know, if I, you know, if I would have been, uh, like, an awesome racer, um, I could have, you know, made some of that up, right? Because there's still plenty of opportunities to pass. Yeah. And, like, you're still kind of, like, you're racing more or less amongst your peers. So, like, you guys are all, or girls are going to, like, all kind of, descend at a similar speed so no one's going to hold you up massively on each descent and then you know you have a climb and you're going to climb pretty much the same speed and you can kind of work your way through it it's really hard to pass when you're like climbing at a similar speed because you need to really gas it and go over your limit to pass so it actually it wears on you the more passes you make but um, it's really important to be able to pass because um, there's a thing called 80% rule so if you're less than eighty percent of uh, the leader's lap time, or wh- whichever, you're slower, and it's within eighty percent, I'm not sure how to explain. it Anyway, but um, uh, you get pulled from the race. So you come around through the start finish, yeah. and you might finish. You might be like, "Oh, I only race for thirty minutes," and you're out. Yeah. You know, just because you know you've lost enough time that, um, and the laps are so short. That eventually the leader's going to pass you. Yeah. So they need to get you out of the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's um, the same sort of thing as uh, happening in triathlon. They're shortening up the courses, making them more technical. Um, and there's there's just a the lap out rule, um, where,
1: yeah, which is fair enough, really. It, it is like, are,
0: on the bike. It is you're just interfering with the race. Then, yeah. Like, you're not. You in, still get a placing you're not in the race.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You still get a placing though. So, like. Um, you know, it'll say like minus three, you won't get a time for your race, but you will get a position, the position in which you finished. And, you know, if you didn't move up enough, um, in the, like the first three laps, well, chances of you moving up, you know, 10 or 20 places in the next three laps, they're pretty slim anyway. So like you more or less finished where you were going
0: to finish. right? Ish. Yeah. Okay, so I, that sort of actually makes more sense to me now that the way you'd be able to work up, like if you're a really good racer, let's say you're, you've come from the, um, the, the junior ranks, like under 19, under 23, and you step up to a World Cup and maybe you're down the back because of lack of points, if you're really good, even though you've stopped, you're not going to win the race, you're not going to get in the top 10, maybe even the top 20, but if you're at the back, 120th, then you're better than all those guys. You still have an hour and a half to get past as many people as you can get past, which is going to then push you up to, you know,
1: keep yeah. moving. And then your... you start better next Yeah. Time. Yeah.
0: And then you'll pass the same amount of people. And, and so you end up where you end up.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is one of the problems actually. Um, and that's because like, um, so especially, you know, riders in New Zealand, the fields in New Zealand are really, really good. Like, The top riders are really, really good. But, you know, they go over to a World Cup, and um, they're starting at the back. Um, They're racing against their peers. And, um, you know, they might finish 80th. Um, Just because it it, it is hard to move up. Yeah. So finishing 80th, I can tell you, it doesn't feel good. (laughs) You know, like, no one wants to, like, spend all this money and go and finish, you know, at the back. Yeah. But, um, you know that just kind of is how it is and it doesn't mean that they're not good it just means that um they need to do it again right so they need to race more big races and move up their starting position get more practice yeah um and then kind of keep out but the problem is like you go and you get 80th you know three weekends in a row and you're pretty much you want to go home and never race again and i think that happens a lot yeah. but uh, yeah
0: because it's not um a lucrative sport at that stage
1: yeah uh yeah i mean if you're getting 80th you're probably you might be getting um a bike uh given to you to borrow for the year or something you're buying tires and you went through like a set of tires in the weekend yeah and you know you spent more money and you you know you didn't make anything. yeah yeah you're not
0: um unless you have whatever governing body or for the most part like no team or anything's picking you up at that stage um so like you're, n- you're not on any retainer or anything of that kind of nature so in that sense it, it's a huge commitment to try and move up for more so for um you know new zealand australia um probably south africa as well um where we just don't have access to the proximity of races
1: yeah yeah it's the same in the states is too it? like the states is huge yep. but and um like there's really talented fields, but there's also a limited number of UCI races. and It's the same thing. Like if you want to go to the biggest races where you really feel like you can prove yourself, like you need to get lots of points and travel around the U.S., make no money, and you know then eventually go to the to Europe um, where you feel like you can prove yourself and you know start in 80th yeah. or whatever. Um, Is that what you did? How did you? Still,
0: what was your whole situation? So when
1: I was racing, yeah. yeah. So when I was racing, I was racing in the national kind of level field, yeah. and I was, you know, still getting smoked, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so the the fields were pretty deep, and the top riders were some of the top riders, yeah. and um, you know, I'd finish a couple laps down, and that's just it is what it is. Uh, but we have a lot more racing that we can do. So when I was racing, I was able to do lots of local races and kind of, uh, you know earn my way through doing that kind of thing and there's value in even doing local races when you get 600 people showing up yeah yeah um so you know you can still get um equipment support and stuff like that even doing local races there and that's the one benefit that we have in the states um compared to new zealand where um there's smaller fields so you know if you're getting uh you know if you're outside kind of the top 10 or whatever um there, there's not a huge value to kind of offer support to that person because there's only, you know, 40 or 50 other riders or maybe 100 other riders that you can kind of be an advertising tool for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
0: And yeah. New Zealand as a whole is so... Like, you're always going to turn up to the same sort of races. It's like, if I'm going to advertise on someone, I want to advertise on the winner. Yeah. Or the, the top five kind of people... Um, because they're going to be at all the races. It's not like in the States where, you know, so you're from uh, Pennsylvania, like, oh, I want to advertise on that guy. He might be coming 10th, but he's going back to a whole different network of riders. Um, whereas in yeah. New Zealand, like, you might be going back to three other riders. And, and...
1: Yeah. I think that's changing, though, in New Zealand, because, like, mountain biking is just huge. It's just constantly growing in New Zealand. I live in Rotorua, the...
0: man. I
1: well, you're in the Mecca. Yeah, we're, you're in the Mecca of I, mountain biking. Just, there's
0: another bike shop opened. I don't know how many. There's more bikes. Sh- I think the only thing we have in Rotorua is bike shops and cafes and Texas chicken. Yeah, but, you know,
1: the problem, one problem in Rotorua is that if you're up at 7 a.m., you there's only one place you can go to get coffee. Where's that? Unless you go to, to the gas station. It's Zippy's. Nothing else seems to be open on 7 a.m. on a Saturday.
0: Okay. Well, i have to find that yeah, out for that's you. That's a problem. Um, Can
1: you put in a good word for me? <laughs> yeah, well, I've got I've
0: got my own <laughs> coffee machine, so... Yeah. <laughs> you know how it is. It's, uh... there's yeah, our locals' role. Yeah.
1: So, like, you, yeah, you guys have just, uh... There's so much mountain biking there. Um, so, I think it is growing. And I think, like, the level of support is kind of changing a little bit. Um... In New Zealand just because so many people do it
0: yeah um yeah um so if we that's sort of how I guess we go back to the qualification process and what cross country is that's the process now if you're training a rider so particularly with uh cross country New Zealand just had the cross country nationals over the last weekend um yeah and you coach uh one of the junior riders who's been moving through the ranks, and he's he was third. Um, yeah, yeah. In the, in the, national under under nineteen or twenty three. Under nineteen, under 19. Yeah. yeah. and then also our close friend, uh, Samuel Shaw, uh, was yeah, was yeah. third as well in the um open men's race. Uh, Elite men. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you've worked closely with him as well over the years um so how how do you get to that level i seem like i feel like you're the guy right mtb phd
1: yeah well i mean this is you know mountain biking i studied it and i've raced a lot of them i've worked with a lot of athletes um i've looked at like lots of power files yeah you know so like that's my day job is i look at power files from mountain bike racing um so yeah yeah, let's talk about it and like what we need. So, um, like we kind of talked about the start just before. And um,
0: why don't you like, break down puts... break down the race? Like, what? Am, you know, I'm guessing a lot of people have probably started with their road cycling, or they can understand road cycling. When when we're looking at at mountain biking, cross country mountain biking, what are what are our defining factors um, within the race? Like, there must be three or four. Um, decisive p- parts of the race. You got the start. We talked about that. Yes,
1: okay, let's start with a start. Because I do not think in any way the start is decisive. Um, so you got this big when group you're... of people. You got
0: 150 yeah. people. You can't tell yeah. me you can just, like, casually cruise off the line.
1: No, no.
0: Especially but if I can... you're the, in the front few rows. You want to stay yeah. in front few rows. That's going to require some rid- yeah. ridiculous effort at the start.
1: Okay. It, it's a pretty big effort. So um, most riders at the start of the race are going to throw down like s- 1500 watts um, to, to just get off the line, get going, and then not get into the single track in a really bad position. Yeah. Right? So um, because... While you can't necessarily um, win at the start, um, you can definitely lose it. And that goes, um, that goes two ways, um, losing the race at the start. So the first way you can lose the, the race at the start is by um, going too hard. Okay. So we talked about pacing before. Um, this was actually before we did podcasts. Um, we talked about pacing. We're going to do another podcast <laughs> on it. But... Um, You need to go hard, but you can't blow up because if you go as hard as you possibly can for one minute, and if you've ever done that, you know exactly how you feel afterwards and you feel like you need a nap and a burrito, (laughs) right? Like, and you're not, so you need to remember that you still have an hour and a half to continue racing and to keep going hard. So you can 100% lose the race at the start by going too hard. The other way you could lose the race at the start is by um, kind of not going hard enough. And um, this is more for um, if you're fighting for the win, right? So you you need to be at least close to the leader at the start if you want to fight for the win. For everyone else, just stay within your limit and try and minimize what you lose at the start. Yeah. Um, And just kind of settle into a steady rhythm that you can kind of maintain. But, you know, if if the leader rides away um, and you guys are, you know, if you get stuck behind a bunch of riders, the leader rides away and you suddenly lose 30 seconds and your peers, right, you're equal of nearly equal ability, it's going to be hard to make 30 seconds up unless they blow up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. So although outwardly or, you know, looking at it, I guess from an uneducated eye, it looks like everyone's just going as maximal as they possibly can but what's happening is the front guys are the front or girls are the best athletes. So they are going hard and they're going relatively as hard as you are. It's just that potentially if you're not in the front, um, you don't need to be going as hard as them. You need to be, you know, you don't need to be up the front with them. You need to be within your peers
1: um, well yeah cause the guys the, the racers at the front aren't going over their limit they're going over your limit yeah. which is something that you can't maintain um, but they're not going over their own limit they're not dumb you know. Um, so if uh, anyone has watched the world cups uh, from a couple years ago when Julian Absalon was like way like you know 20th at the start it wasn't because he was bad at starting it was because he was smart yeah. and he would work his way up Um but you know, you see the other riders that kind of go over their limit at the start, and then they move back as Julian Absalon moves forward. Yeah. Um. So because they went over their limit while he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's important. That's really important because you need to keep racing. Yeah. It's not over at the start just because you're you're leading at, in the first lap doesn't mean you're going to win. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so are you training. You need to train for that, though, right? Like you can't yeah. just be really, really fit, but expect to throw down a thousand plus watts. Yeah, and have it not yeah you know put you in bed with a burrito.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because especially it might be hard to find a burrito. <laughs> that could be a problem. But um, yeah, so like you when you start and you start with a massive sprint, you're gonna generate a lot of lactate that you. That's kind of going to be circulating around and lots of, um, hydrogen ions and a lot of, you know, acidity in the muscle. Yeah. Um, and it's not over then, like you need to keep going. So you need to kind of train to be able to, uh, use that lactate and convert it to energy while still going relatively hard. Yeah. Right. And that's really important. And that, you know, so if you train for a start, you go really, really hard for a short amount of time, and then you go really hard for quite a long time right so that that's one kind of interval session you can do to train for the start but those are really really taxing yeah so you can't be doing that all i the can time. imagine because
0: it's um yeah you're really having to target on the acidic buffering capacity of of yeah. the muscle while working yeah. still above probably um lactate threshold
1: yeah it's, it's a vo2 it's a you know kind of an all out sprint and then a vo2 max effort yeah. um which it just drains you you can't do those all the time but that's the kind of thing that you kind of need to do to be able to to um you know be able to cope with the start yeah um and not all the time like w- one or two of those like in the build up to the race is enough
0: yeah yeah well you but. have to be able to um go hard enough to make it a worthwhile session you can't be doing it when you're sort of you know in amongst like a huge volume state or something like that right
1: no no but and like the other thing you need to like because it takes you do that really really hard workout to train to be better at starting Starting's not that important um in terms of the rest of the race so like actually you still need to be kind of training when you kind of mix like you add one of those sessions you still need to train because really when we look at mountain biking the very most important thing that you can do is be aerobically fit
0: yeah and that goes for um, mountain biking as a whole
1: yeah i mean it goes for any kind of biking sport Is like um and people will argue this but yeah aerobic fitness is number one yeah absolutely
0: um okay so we get we get through the start and that is actually a lot more simplistic than than i thought um because you're right it's it doesn't seem to actually impact the race that much it only does if you are thinking oh, i need to train more for the start but what's probably happening is you're just going too hard and it's not a matter of lack of training it's a matter of overexerting yourself
1: yeah um, far more common than anyone would ever imagine until they throw a power meter on their bike um, they're not going to actually understand what's going on. The,
0: the same happens uh, in swimming for for triathlon. Like, you know, everyone thinks they need to be in the front pack, and then you break down the times, because the swimming is, is almost impossible to measure. Um, like, just the GPS doesn't work in water. Um, you know, accelerometers, it, it, it's hard to monitor on, like, a um, horizontal plane, things like that it's so hard to gauge effort, but you also need to be near the front, but you don't need to over-exert yourself when the best swimmers are just like swimming so casually um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's exactly that like it's not a matter of like needing to be at the front, and needing to not to minimise your effort um, yeah. anyway so then how are you, now the the rest of the race is so unique to endurance sport in that yeah, hill climbing. Like we can all sort of understand you need to be light and powerful and fit. But then on the other side of that, you've got a, you've got a descent that may have small sprints in it. It may have, you know, um, it obviously has some level of technicality, coordination, um, bike handling, like all of the stuff you can't do if you've just reamed yourself up a hill. Yeah,
1: no, you. you like can't. in in the Tour um, de France,
0: right? You see these guys and girls climb well not girls in the tour de france but in cycling they'll they'll put in you know try and break the group up once they get up to the top um as long as they've got enough of a gap they'll sit up take a drink you know they'll be hooning down the other side they might zip up put on a a vest or grab some more fluids and stuff um that's just not happening
1: no in mountain biking like um like, you, you need to go quick down the hills, and there's no time for rest. And this is actually what makes it – it's one of the things that makes it unique to other cycling, uh, to, you know, compared to road cycling, yeah. is that, like, you go up the hills really hard, but then when you go down the hills, you have no time for recovery, really. Um, so your best opportunity to recover is to kind of remove pedaling because this is kind of your chance to uh, – to not pedal, like it's your only chance to really not pedal. Yeah, um, on the down. And, but you, yeah. on the downhills, yeah. yeah. So, you know, coast as much as possible. Um, and, you know, if you're, if we have highly skilled riders, they're able to kind of go down um, big parts of a descent at the highest speed possible without adding pedaling. Yeah. So that maximizes the recovery they can have for the
0: next uphill. Okay, cool. So then what, how are you trying to incorporate like what's most important. Like if I'm, I'm, I'm a fit guy. I want to do some, some mountain bike racing. Um, I have actually, Oh, that yeah. race was so hard. Oh man. I just, well, you did too. So why don't you tell us about the two that you did? Um, well one, so the first one was on a hard tail
1: yeah.
0: and, uh, I guess I went out hard, but I knew from talking to you and just from endurance sport in general, like I was like, I just need to be in a good position going into the single track. Right. And, and then it just didn't let up. It was like this new, a lot of, especially in ultra endurance, um, marathon running, like Ironman triathlon, half Iron, like it's all very like controlled and consistent. Um, even like a five k or three k running race, you're not sprinting at any point unless it's the end, um, or to slightly get around someone. Um, it's very a consistent effort. Uh, whereas this was like, I was just, I was going hard and then I was sprinting, and then you know because you and then I was getting on the brakes and then I was having to get back on the bunch that I was riding with like get back on the wheel. And then they would make a mistake and then I'd put the brakes on and then I forgot to, to speed up. Um, it was like this, I was just absolutely wrecked after, I mean, yeah, I had, to, I had to very soft pedal at home after, I think it was maybe, I think it was three laps. It was about an hour, 20 or so. After 40 minutes, I remember wondering if I could even finish. Like I was just that spent. It was it was so unique um, that, and that being on the hardtail on. So the the course we did was in the the Santor Forest, which is uh, a beachside forest. So it's kind of sandy, not hugely hilly, quite technical, very undulating, rolling. Um, you know, pinch hills and and corners and soft sand and so it's it's a you need to be going pedaling on the pedals the whole time very rooty so with the hard tails jumping around um it was yeah it was just it was a excruciate I didn't like it um <laughs> but I went back I went back to the same race which is maybe a month later I had a new bike full suspension bike um and I started a bit easier and tried to control myself I thought um, what is it? S- yeah, relax is smooth and smooth is fast.
1: Yeah, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. That's what Phil Dunphy said. So
0: that was what I was thinking. And I tried to, you know, I was able to um, finish a lot stronger. Um, if I didn't happen to go the wrong way, I think I might have been you, Matt. Uh, mm. It was going to be a close race. I had a good start. Yeah, and, I think uh, so. It was, yeah, once I understood the sheer level of accelerations and huge power outputs that were required just in, in like my sort of, you know, amateur state, which is actually going to be more exaggerated because I'm not as smooth. Um, but I think, yeah, sorry. That was my, yeah, that's good. That's good Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once I, I guess because I was trying to exercise at the level, you know, I knew I could maintain for an hour and a half. I was like, which is, quite a high level um but then when you have to add all those sprints um and accelerations on top of that that level then becomes a lot less like your you know <laughs> your your sustained average like your average power compared to your normalized i guess
1: yeah uh yeah yeah i i i remember um how wrecked you were from from that first event and because uh, i took my hard tail out for that same event yeah. I, I rode my dirt jump bike, and I was like, oh, yeah, th- I think this thing would be pretty mean at uh, XC, you know, because I'm, I'm at the right height where I can get, you know, if I put a really long seat post in, I can race my dirt jumping bike yeah. in cross country. So I was like, sweet, 26-inch hardtail. <laughs> but um, both of our backs were absolutely oh, wrecked. Like, I was wrecked for days, actually. Yep. Like, um, you know, small wheels, <laughs> never having <laughs> raced in a really, really long time. And um, I just hardtails are just too rough like you really need to develop um a different kind of racing like must like the muscles that you use to race a hardtail are just different and that doesn't suit my style yeah well you you put uh, accelerometers
0: on different body parts
1: yeah Uh, yeah yeah so we did this uh this kind of research and um yeah we we used accelerometers and it was kind of all over the bike uh, we had some at the handlebars, some at the seat, and um, you know, some at, on the body, right? So what's happening is, like, w- what we were trying to measure is um, where these accelerations are dampened, because if you kind of just had a rigid body bouncing around a trail, um, and that was you as a rigid body, your brain would shake so much that you'd probably be dead at the bottom yeah. of a descent, right? Um, but um, what's actually happening is the bike's shaking a lot and vibrating a lot and taking these impacts. And then our legs and our arms are damping those impacts. So our head pretty much doesn't shake at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that was... Um, yeah, I found that really interesting. You had the accelerometers on the head and it pretty much doesn't move. Whereas your yeah. arms are obviously, the, you know, jackhammering. And so are your legs yeah. um, to ensure... And so that what that was was to ensure your brain didn't smash against your skull.
1: Yeah, well... Yeah, because, like, your brain's kind of, uh, like, suspended within a bit of fluid, yeah. right? And um, that's why you don't shake a baby, right? <laughs> so, like, you, well, that's I exactly why. Because, you know, permanent, like, brain damage, right? Um, and that's exactly why we, our bodies, adopt this strategy, this autonomic strategy. We don't even think about it when we're mountain biking. And we do all this damping to protect our central nervous system. Yeah. Um. But what's happening, the, like the issue with that, and this is where it's different from road cycling, is that um, all this this autom- autonomic strategy, this thing that we do without even thinking about it uh, by using our arms and our legs to dampen the vibrations to our head, is that costs energy.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So we go up a hill really hard when we're mountain biking, and then we go down a hill as fast as possible. Yes. But since we're using all those extra muscles to go down that hill to dampen those vibrations, we have that reduced recovery. yeah. So our heart rates don't actually get a chance to go down um, to the level that we're actually, of the work that we're doing with our legs, yeah. our power output. Yeah. So our heart rates just reduce a little bit because we're doing all this work with our arms yeah, and our legs.
0: Yeah. Okay, and that's the that's the difference between hardtail and, and full suspension. Uh, yeah, so like uh, people that spend a lot of
1: time on a hardtail, yeah. um, get pretty good at descending on a hardtail. Okay. Um, so actually, like, the vi- the level of vibrations isn't hugely different um, oh, okay. when you take away yeah. a rear shock. Yeah. The main difference with a hardtail is that you actually have to stand so much. Uh, because, yeah. so if you, um, and it's, uh, you know, it goes both ways, like on a climb and a descent. So, like, if you go up a bumpy climb, um and you know your back tires There was actually one root. thing
0: i did notice was the back wheel stayed on the ground so much more you know I yeah, could sit, that's I exactly could sit what through you want. the roots the tree roots um and this is what i've recommended you know the, the the exterior guys um to to use full suspensions because you can't afford you know when you got to run off the bike you, you can't afford to be standing up
1: that's right yeah and Like, and that's not just on flats and it's not just on descents, that's on climbs Mm. too. So if you're about to, your rear wheel's about to hit like a root that's, you know, maybe four or six, you know, 10 inches off the ground or whatever, to get that over, you can't just sit and pedal and plow through it. Like you need to slightly raise like your butt off the seat, right? Otherwise it's going to shake your back, kind of hurt your back, and it's going to also shake your head. So your body doesn't want that at all. So what we end up doing is standing up and um you know if you like you know wherever you are now if you like stood up and you squatted halfway stood up all the way squatted halfway stood up and squatted like that takes extra energy yeah yeah so that yeah right like you'd get tired of doing that after a while now add into that going as hard as you can for an hour and a half yeah and damping these massive impacts um so yeah, like uh, that's where I see the drawback of hardtails is mostly on the climbs.
0: Okay, it's interesting because most people would think it was that was where the benefit was, because of the yeah.
1: well, they're not that much lighter. Not now. Like no. these days, no. yeah, these days, like a full suspension bike might like cost an extra kg. Yeah. Um, which like none like, of the climbs are that big, that
0: really, are they? You know, because that's gonna no. matter. That is gonna matter a lot over half an hour
1: yeah if you have a half an hour climb yeah, that's
0: what i mean but a lot of them yeah um a lot of them i'd say the, the what you lost in the um climb if you you know had a kg heavier bike you'd probably be able to make up in the descent quite possibly from saved energy
1: yeah or even just take into account a bumpy 30 minute climb versus a smooth 30 minute
0: climb yeah.
1: you know if you could sit the whole time that, that's quite good you don't need to use that muscle the musculature to support your body mass yeah. You can just sit in the saddle, mm. which is quite good.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then, what? How are you? How are you training these guys? What? My question was before uh, we we got into my uh, mountain biking extensive mountain biking experience, mountain bike racing experience. Yeah. Um. Was where's where 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 should I be training? Like I'm I'm quite fit should i be focusing on so i'm aerobically fit let's say i've got the perfect base now is it should do i need to worry about climbing or the other kind of short high intensity stuff um or should i just be like i need to get as skilled as possible
1: yeah well i think where most people are going to be falling short is the kind of working on the right kinds of fitness oh, so yeah? for you to go into mountain biking. Like, you're a fit guy, you do a lot of running, you do the odd mountain biking, and, like, you've, you've ridden bike plenty. Yeah. So you're going into it pretty fit, yeah. and you can pretty much, if you're on the right bike and you pace it properly, you can pretty much cope the, with the demands of cross-country racing. Yeah. Like, you, you, you should be fine. But, um, but you train aerobically, right? So you, you have the engine. Yeah. Whereas, you know, people will look at a mountain bike race and say, yep, you need to go hard up a climb. So I'm going to go hard up climbs over and over and over yep. and over. And they'll do lots and lots of intervals.
0: Yeah, I see that um, in the forest uh, a lot. And I'm like, am I missing something? Like, is that, do you need to be, um, it was the same when I was down in Palmerston North with you because the, the mountain bike park is just on the side of a hill. And um, there's always people smashing themselves up the hill. Like, is that, is that really important
1: uh i'd say the very most important thing that you can do to get better at cross-country mountain biking is to build your engine aerobic okay so
0: that's what so, um this caleb uh botcher who the third under he went to world champs right so like yeah. that level of rider um how's how like how many hill efforts is he doing uh, we might get, like, two hard rides in a week. Yeah.
1: Maybe three. And how many times um, is he riding? Uh, most days. Okay. Yeah, and most of it's aerobic. Okay. Um, so, you know, he's, especially when you're younger and kind of starting out, you, the, the focus should kind of be on the engine. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's what we spend most of our time doing, because, like, if you ride at an aerobic pace, you can ride at an aerobic pace pretty much every day and feel pretty good, which means that you can get actually, you can get more volume in um, and you can get, um, you know, the idea is that you can get more adaptation aerobically. And, um, you know, I think this kind of goes against what everyone thinks about when they look at mountain biking because you do go so hard and you're so out of breath on every single hill that you do. But what we need to do is we need to take a step back and look at the power output that we're actually putting out. Okay. Um, yep. So, so and, you know, that's... You, when you do that, you can really see the energy systems at work. And if you understand how the energy systems work, you can understand how to train. Okay. Right? So um, if we kind of drew a level right here, right, at my mouth, and we went across the screen...
0: Okay, so... And this is my... So more like a line across the... Sc- a flat...
1: Yeah, we, a yeah, flat, yeah line. flat line. That's my... That's my lactate threshold. Yeah. So right. Flat line. Yep. Flat line. Totally straight line because we know what our lactate threshold is. So and then you know I'll start over here, at this end of the screen because this is, um, the left as I'm looking at. It. So I'll look at the start of the race. Okay. Right. I'm gonna draw it with my finger. Okay. This is gonna if be you're really not it on for the... a podcast. Yeah. 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 Well, you you know this is pretty easy to picture. So we have this level across my my it's mouth a, it's a graph just say there's a graph
0: like yeah, the a... line halfway okay. across That halfway
1: yeah 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 okay so we have that straight line and we do the start and you know we're we're quite a bit above my mouth my head <laughs> uh, above that line yeah. right so we're going quite hard yes. but then what happens is this power output goes back down to zero on you know that first descent and you have like 30 seconds at zero yeah. so that real that first effort was really really hard yeah. then what we have is we might have an, the next climb and we might kind of get Uh, a little bit above our lactate threshold, right? And then we kind of bounce around like that for a while, for a couple minutes up that climb. We're slightly above our lactate threshold. Then we drop back down to zero on the descent. So it's intermittent, right? That's what we'd call it. We'd call it intermittent. Um, And what we need to be able to do intermittent activity, which is hard rest, hard rest, hard rest, we need the highest level of aerobic efficiency that we can get um so um so that's our lactate threshold that's the highest level of our aerobic ability yeah yeah and that's the area that we need to work on the most to be able to repeat these sprints over and over and over you might have a sprinter that can sprint really 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 hard for 30 seconds and blow everyone's doors off yeah but after that they're going to need that nap and that burrito yeah, yeah, right? right because they're a sprinter yeah Right, And that's not what we do in mountain biking. What we do in mountain biking is um, we go pretty hard for an hour and a half. And we're always breathing really, really hard because we didn't get a chance to recover on the descent.
0: Yeah, but a lot of the um, ventilatory stuff is driven by the excess CO2 um, generated from the anaerobic effort. Um, because yeah, that's the, right. It's not, it's not so much how hard you're trying that generates ventilation, um, it's actually the concentration of CO two in the blood that we're trying to excrete through our lungs and our mouth. So it's not so much the need for oxygen; it's the need to get rid of yeah. um, carbon dioxide. People sort of miss that's, that, um, I think, a lot of the time, and think. Yeah. So that's why a lot, you know, you can be going down a descent, breathing really hard, um, because you, you've tried really hard up the hill. Um, yeah. And yep. you still.
1: Yeah, because we start to generate CO two as well just from you know using glycolysis and buffering
0: uh hydrogen yeah yeah which is happening on the descent it's a lot different to just sitting like on a road bike and and rolling down the hill Mm. um okay so now i'm starting to get yeah when you look at mountain biking you think man they're going hard for for like um and even when you do the sport like having done a couple races it feels like you're going hard the whole time um but what's when we take a step back, like you're saying, you understand that actually it's not so much how hard can I go? It's how fast can I recover from those hard efforts? And yes. I don't need to be, you know, be able to put out 500 Watts to do that. I need to be able to recover from putting out 500 Watts again. Yep. And, again and to be able and again. to put out 500 Watts again. Yeah. 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 I see. I see. Um, but then you must have to like, so you know how, how I train, like I'm training for marathons, ultra-marathons, um, you know, running um, 100, 140 k's a week, predominantly aerobically. So my aerobic engine is is very large. Um, but then I wasn't, let's say I had paced it appropriately, um, although I didn't, I was probably going too hard. I was not that well-equipped to handle those surges. Now you must have right. to train hard to do that
1: yeah yeah and we do we do yeah um so that's those one of
0: those two hard sessions you do in a week
1: yeah 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 so what we need to like if we're going if we're exercising above our lactate threshold we're recruiting you know some a lot a lot of muscle fibers yeah. like and a lot of them are going to be type 2 muscle fibers that we don't really recruit when we're exercising aerobically yeah. um so we're definitely going to be working on some inter- intermittent, like really hard sprints uh, or really hard VO2 max efforts just to recruit those muscles and work on those energy systems because we definitely need them. Yeah. Right. Cause we're yeah, going to be yeah. going hard and yeah. we just need to look at like, we know we're going to exercise at times above our lactate threshold. Um, so we need to, we need to be able to do that really. And um, uh, so yeah, we're going to throw in some hard efforts, but the issue is, Like they're so hard um, that we we can't do them all the time.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And that's that's the main thing. So like I'm not like a huge like I'm not a preacher of never go hard. I'm I'm more of a preacher of um, when you go hard, go hard, and the rest of the time, keep training, and by riding easy, so that way you can hit those hard sections harder. Yeah, which I think, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the name used to be, like if it's all, always been called that, but, you know, if you're sprinting every day, like the quality of your sprints is just going to go down and down and down as those two type two fibers get more fatigued, you know, because they'll get, they'll be more fatigued tomorrow and more fatigued the next day. Yeah, so there's no, um, point
0: or like period of adaptation.
1: Yeah, just, like you need to rest to adapt. Yeah.
0: Um, so if I'm, um, or anyone so the people out there they're not they're not going to be elite athletes um, majority of them and they're wanting to do uh, some cross-country mountain biking for fun and a bit of racing and stuff like is it worth them doing any hardy fits or should it all just be easy sort of training where they can also couple that with improved skills
1: yeah this is probably where you'd take another step back and look at what like, you'd look at two things, and probably the first thing would be to look at how much time they have available Okay. Yep. Um, to actually train. So some people might only have, like, four hours a week yep. or something like that. Um, and then, you know, so other people might have unlimited time. Uh, okay, so let's, you, let's then, go
0: for um very restricted time. I can train three days, and yep. then we'll have someone with a, a more, like, an hour to an hour and a half each day yeah why don't okay. you sort of contrast so you... those i think those are the sort of two that i've come across in terms of um you know training available time
1: Yeah. okay so um if you can train an hour and a half each day you might want to throw in like probably three of those hard-ish sessions maybe a vo2 max session maybe a repeat sprint session three that sounds like quite a lot maybe three i don't know I. what do <laughs> they need i don't know much about this person um, <laughs> yeah, so, okay, let's go with two, because that's what Will says, <laughs> hey. um, or what Will wants. So, if we do two hard sets, maybe a VO2 max session, and, like, uh, maybe a sprint session if we need to work on that, but probably more like, uh, like a lactate threshold kind of session. Okay. And the rest would be kind of easy ride, like aerobic zone two kind of riding.
0: Yeah. Um, for an hour and a half race, are you needing to do, how long would someone need to do a long ride?
1: Well, um, you know, if we have someone that has only an hour and a half on each day, um, then we might look at doing like a fasted ride. So they kind of wake up in the morning, don't eat breakfast, get this ride in before work, and get as much adaptation that they can from this aerobic session. There's their hour and a half for the day, done. Um, If you can get in the longer rides, that's probably a little better because you can add a little bit more stress to the aerobic
0: system. Um, Just through duration that you can't do in one and a half hours when you say easy riding um because of the nature of a bike um and it's supporting you like you can go ridiculously easy i'm sure you've seen those people biking to work with a cadence of about one every minute um are they on e-bikes though potentially um but you know like you can go very very easy on a bike um is there a a limit to how easy you can go yeah
1: probably like you uh like we do like a recovery session like this odd recovery session when we need it um and when i uh prescribe one of those that in the instructions i kind of say it should just feel like your legs are just falling down yeah okay right with each pedal stroke like you're not really going to get much adaptation from your legs just falling down yep. at 90 RPM.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you're not really demanding much from the muscle. Like they're important sometimes just to, for active recovery, but um, if you're looking for adaptation, that's a bit probably too easy. Okay. Um, but maybe you know you yeah. So above that,
0: are you using a yeah. are you mon- like are you prescribing a heart rate or a percentage of power or? Yeah,
1: yeah, we we can prescribe aerobic training via either of those.
0: Yeah, yeah. But what do you do?
1: <laughs> well, you, not everyone has a power meter. Yeah. Like, if I start working with an athlete, I say the very best investment you can get is a power meter. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's for some people it's out of budget. Um, some people kind of, uh, you just don't want a power meter. Yeah. Um, So if they don't have one, then we do heart rate. Yeah. And that's heart rate would always be second to training with power.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, so what else? Skills. The skills component. Yeah. How is someone going to work on that? I mean, it's it's a really hard one to to actively train for. I feel because if you have bad skills. You can't just go ride a hill a whole bunch of time. You'll get a little bit better, I'm I'm guessing, but you've picked up those bad skills maybe due to a lack of knowledge or something. How do you get better at that?
1: Yeah. Well I've done some skills coaching and um um like that was maybe ten years ago that I was doing some skills coaching and I uh, you did
0: that stuff you know, that um squad. Yeah, yeah, we did, um, so that okay, that that actually, guy. yeah, no, that wasn't, okay, so I've done this a
1: lot, actually, <laughs> um, uh, so I've done, like, on-trail kind of skills coaching, and I've done, like, for the local club, I've done, like, help helping to, for riders to kind of get some technique and, like, do some things in a really nicely controlled way on a field, yeah. so that's what I've done, but actually, um, skills coaching in the last 5, 10 years has really become, like, its own thing. Like there are specialized skills coaches and there are specialized, um, like skills training programs, um, that riders can do to really get a good handle on like just handling the bike better. Um, so it's, it's advanced far beyond what I have done. Um, and, uh, like riders see results. So when I work with riders and I like, even this is like high level, um, enduro racers, you know, that are winning, winning races. Um, I always recommend like a skills coach just to kind of like help take them to the, the next level. Cause I, what I do is I'm a fitness coach and like yep. I can look at your power file uh, from a race and I can tell like, I can see exactly what you need to do to get better at mountain biking. Yeah. Like at, for fitness wise. Yep. But, you know, I do a lot of that remotely and I can't have someone like go out and do drills in a field, like turning around a cone in the grass. Yeah you know, and for me to, like, have someone do that over and over, um, and, you know, us think it's going to work, I think that's a bit of a disservice, when you can, like, hire a proper skills coach to, like, help you dial in your skills, if that's what your limiter is.
0: Okay, and, like, I've seen these things pop up on my social media, um, these online kind of courses, and also, you know, there's the, um, YouTube videos, as well the whole bunch of different channels how much can you gain from that is it worth is it worth just having a look at some of those and that they'll open my eyes to different skill you know techniques or do i really need to go in and and is my best bang for buck paying someone for a one or two hour like technique workshop
1: yeah i would probably recommend both like do you pay someone for, like, if this is your sport and, like, you spend all this time, like, bikes aren't cheap, like, so you've already made an investment. Yeah. Like, what's like a hundred dollar extra to buy someone's online skills training yeah. program and, like, two hundred dollars extra to hire a skills coach for, like, two hours? Yeah. So, yeah. like, what skills are ongoing? Like, uh, like, once you have a skill, like, you need to continue to hone it. Yeah. Right. So, if skill is your limiter you like you can get a coach to help identify what your limiter is um in you know whether it's like cornering or um you know picking a line or something like that yeah. and then you can get one of those online programs to kind of help to train you yeah um yeah yeah
0: okay are there any you recommend
1: um uh, yeah i have a coach that i recommend in the states uh his company's called take aim cycling yeah and um i've done some work with him and he's just great i've sent riders to him and harlan price he was like a top level uh 100 mile racer in the state yeah and uh he's you know decided that that's what he wants to focus on yeah um so that's you know uh skills coaching in new zealand um i know world cup downhill racer Bryn dickerson um he's doing some skills coaching as well uh once he heals his foot yeah so um yeah and then um as far as skills training programs uh there's a rider ryan leach who was like world class like trials and free rider and he now he has this company that does online skills coaching. Yeah. So I had to look at those and um
0: yeah, it looks pretty cool. Okay. Cool. I'll link to those yeah. in the in the description. Um, yeah. That's, that's something I I I'd seen it pop up and I was like that's you know to um to purchase straight off the, you know, for whatever and have it forever. Um I was like that if it was actually effective, um would be a, a worthwhile investment um just a huge video library of, of particular things you need to work on
1: yeah well i mean if it can make you like 10 seconds faster in a race um or like you're already investing so much in the sport like like oh it, it, i mean it's hard to say like just a little bit more just a little bit more of an investment yeah, Because yeah. you need to draw the line somewhere but you know if skill's a limiter like yeah like don't get that brand new like flash carbon frame. Yeah. That you know, that's or the I don't know, like something silly. Like um an upgrade for your bike. Spend that on like getting better cuz that'll you'll have more fun than having a flash component. cool yeah. But actually, the other thing is um we have a brake power meter, you know, that um riders can use to see where they're braking and how hard they're braking.
0: Yeah, I um, hear so. that's uh, that's almost at the release stage yep it is
1: yeah so um i just showed will um some fancy things that we have
0: going on just before we started the podcast um yeah so um we'll talk about it soon (laughs) (laughs) um so if you want to summarize to the the listeners wanting to train for mountain biking cross country in particular we'll get into enduro and downhill stuff later um what what is it like what, what am I trying? What should I focus on? Um, you know, when I'm looking at it, let's say, just looking at it going, well, the start's really important and everything's really hard. That's because that's yeah. how people are looking at it. Um, but mm. then what's your your take on it and your recommendations?
1: Yeah, my recommendation would be to kind of focus on developing your engine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that... Might come uh, as you in like just spending less time going hard. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and then you can do it more. Um, so uh, that would be my first probably recommendation. My second recommendation would be to um, uh, not just try it in one race, don't go out too hard. Okay. Just try and take it easy at the start and see what happens. Yeah. Start last. Go into the single track last, yeah. or something like that, yeah. and um, work your way through the race. Okay, that'd be my second recommendation. Yeah, and if um, you're really looking to get better, um, get a power meter, and um, look at it with someone that kind of knows what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and now uh, you've covered a lot of these sort of topics on your blog on mtbphd.com. So, big one, jump over there um, or your social medias, and maybe flick you a message to ask in particular what would be most appropriate or when and where and how to do all these different kind of things right
1: yeah definitely like there's some blog articles that you can mull through um and then like i try and like post some like uh, informative instagram posts like instead of just like uh, i don't know just a photo of me biking <laughs> like no one really cares about yeah. like i try and make it something useful so like uh, whether it's tire pressures or like pacing or yeah, I saw uh, some like uh,
0: really interesting stuff on on there around pacing and suspension settings and and that which is which is cool. I'm I'm glad yeah, you yeah. offer of that.
1: Yeah, that's all free. You know. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks for that, Matt. And thank you. Yeah, I guess we will uh, touch base again next week. Yeah, I'll look
1: forward to it. I really like talking about mountain biking, so any chance that I can get um, to talk about it and do this podcast is, yeah, just a good time.
0: All right, sweet, Matt. Catch you later.